0: Welcome back to episode three of the HPO Human Performance Outliers podcast. Today we have an extremely, extremely special guest. You guys are going to be super excited when, when you hear who the guest is today. Um, I'm going to let Zach introduce this guy because this guy's pretty cool. So listen up, and it's going to be a neat, neat guest we've got going on.
1: It, it's uh, it makes me nervous just thinking of bringing this guy on. But today's guest is uh, meet Dr. Sean Baker. Wait, it's me. It's <laughs> oh, man, I thought it
0: was going to be cool. I'm eating this yep. hamburger. Let me finish my hamburger.
1: We yeah, did. well, well, Dr. Baker is about three pounds into some, some Wendy's burger patties, so he's fueled and ready to go and tell his story. So uh, I'm excited. Hopefully you're excited, too. And um, if you've been with us for the first two uh, podcasts, you saw our introduction, you kind of know the outline of what we're going for here. And then if you saw the last one, you kind of have a little bit of background on me. Um, but this is, this will be our third podcast, uh, from the, the lavish, uh, hotel here. Yeah, can, we, can we tell
0: about our recording studio? We have, <laughs> I mean, I, I was at Joe Rogan's studio when I did his podcast. and It's pretty nice, but I mean, I don't know if it can compete, I mean we've got, Studio 116 at the El Motel, and I mean, I do not you think we can get a float tank and an archery range in here? We got enough uh, room for that? Maybe some short range <laughs> archery, 10 feet, 10 feet possibly. Maybe we can get our own gym. I bet we can get at least a dumbbell in here. <laughs> we might have stick to throwing knives from the yeah, weapon guess, side of it. Yeah, you <laughs> know, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, we could turn the, turn the uh, bathtub on for a steam room or something like that, goodness, yeah. Um, One yeah. of these days, Joe Rogan, we're going to catch you, man. Anyway, the El Motel, Studio 116, this is a great (laughs) place.
1: So, yeah, we're here for now, but we're planning on upgrading some of this stuff down the road, but we wanted to get some content out to you sooner rather than later. And, uh, you know, Sean uh, travels back and forth between kind of the L.A. area and Albuquerque, and I'm kind of smack dab in the middle there in Phoenix, so uh, I was up in Flagstaff for work. Sean was coming through heading to Albuquerque, so we thought, why not? Put some of these on uh, record for uh, our first few episodes in person together, and uh, so episode three is uh, kind of the the approach here is going to be I'm going to interview uh, Doctor Baker a bit here and kind of get an idea of what his background is, and so you have an idea of where he's coming from, how he got to where he is today. But um, with no further ado, I introduce the carnivore himself. <laughs> Doctor Baker.
0: Hey, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah. I'm just wondering if we do have an actual guest, are they going to sit on my lap or your lap, Where are we going to put?
1: <laughs> well, there? well, if we're still in the El Motel studio, we're oh, going to oh, figure goodness. something out, or or at least uh, show more of this this setup, I guess. If we bring in there a third you go. chair, there you have to have
0: a third <laughs> a third chair. I don't know. All right, so what are we talking about today?
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, we're. I'm interested. I'm sure some of the folks here who aren't haven't followed your story from the beginning are interested as. Uh, how you got to where you are today? I mean, you're what? 52, is it?
0: No, I'm only 51. Only 51. Man, I'm, oh, okay. Don't go
1: You hold on to them preciously, I suppose, right? Um, but yeah, so like at age 51, carnivore diet, uh, world records in in rowing. Um, how does one find themselves at that place? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I, you know,
0: I mean, in all seriousness, I've been, I've just been doing athletics my whole damn life. You know, here's the thing. You know, I don't know what it was. Our, this is kind of weird because I'm thinking about this. Whenever when you do, I was like, "Well, what drove me?" And I remember when I was a kid. I must have been, I don't know, nine, eight years old. And I was in a, I was in a store. I remember I was in a grocery store or some kind of store, and I found this little, little rock or toy that I had. And I remember I, it was, I threw it, and in my mind it kept going and going and going and going. It went like super long. It was almost it was like, it was like, a, it had superpowers. And so I sort of thought maybe I have superpowers, and I really believe that I had superpowers for a while, and I was trying to figure out how to make that come out, and so maybe I just kind of think I still do, and so I'm kind of trying to figure out how to how to live up to that, and so I've just been going as an athlete in all kinds of different sports, you know, and, and you know, I've broken some records in a bunch of different sports now over the years. We're always the latest one. I'm, I'm switching back. Then Here's the nice thing when you get old, you know, you get to pick a lot of different sports, and you can go back and revisit them, because you can just kind of you know, you're competing against old guys, and and, and if, you, if, you, if you're if you still healthy, the old guys get easier and easier to beat. And so I'm going back into from rowing, you know, I'm still going to try to break some more records on a row, but I'm kind of switching back into weightlifting or a powerlifting thing to see if I can maybe break a national record in powerlifting and the deadlifts. I've been starting to train that, but yeah, my whole life has been sports, 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 sports. That's how I've identified myself. I, I, again, like we talked about, I think it is kind of mental illness because you just want to compete, and I just want to, you know, I just, you, you know, maybe that's how I value myself, by competition, some people say, well, that's unhealthy, I think, I think it makes you, can make you pretty healthy if you do it correctly, and I, I just, uh, you know, I have fun with it, but, uh, you know, my identity is, you know, I, I was on with uh, Mark Bell, I said, I'm just a meathead, you know, I <laughs> guy who trains and likes to lift weights and push my body to the limit, whatever, and whatever it's in, whether it's Highland games where I'm throwing a damn rock and trying to break, you know, world win the world championships and throwing rocks around or rowing on a rowing machine or lift up some stupid barbell. Um, that is, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I competed in anything. I remember I was in, I was in, uh, I got a, when I was in my clinic, a hospital clinic, we, I would compete with the nurses in cherry pit spinning contests. <laughs> you know, I wanted to win, man. I was like throwing everything into it, you know, so that that's, you know, that's, where I come from, from, from competition, you know, it's just like, I, I like to compete and stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, a little bit what drove me toward the diet, the, the diet, I kind of went to because I wanted to improve athletic performance. And I just happened to find that it's very good for health, uh, benefits as well. And that's, that's been a, that's been a different sort of track, you know, it's a whole different interesting story that we can, we can maybe get into.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, it's it's always interesting to talk to folks about their journey through sports and stuff like that. And you know, I know for myself when I was when I was younger, I was fortunate enough that my parents were really uh, encouraging about trying a bunch of different stuff. So I certainly tried a whole bunch of different things before finding kind of where I really wanted to drive most of my energies. And um, but yeah, so I. I think I remember reading or hearing somewhere that you
0: spent some time playing some rugby, even, right? Yeah, when I was, uh, it was kind of funny. So, this is, uh, this is how I got into rugby. I didn't know anything about rugby. I'm not American. We don't play rugby. I was in medical school and I was working out of the gym. And the owner of the, guy, the, owner of the gym, this is Sergeant Rock's gym, Galveston Island. I still have a t shirt from there. That t shirt I got in 1989. I still have it, still wear it today, believe it or not. Um, it's still, I can't believe I still have that. Yeah, I've got t shirts. It's almost as old as you, I think. Industrial my t-shirt strength is. t-shirts. <laughs> so I mean, t-shirts is a old, older than a lot of people, but uh, whatever it was made out of, it worked pretty well. But the guy's name was Paul McCartney. He wasn't the guy from the beat. He wasn't real Paul McCartney from the beat, but he's a chiropractor somewhere in around Austin, Texas now, I think. But he said, man, if you want to, because he saw I was a big, strong guy, and he said, hey, man, if you want to keep working out in my gym, you, you got to come play rugby. You know, kind of half joking. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, I'll give it a try. I thought it would be fun. And uh I went out there and played and had some fun with it and I was pretty athletic and you know that's been kind of my story I've never been a real skillful athlete but I've just been big and strong and fast and able to to to, to use that to, to win stuff and so you know I was I was able to jump real high I was able to run real fast I liked smashing into people um that was kind of fun you know I don't know it's I wish I could do that today still sometimes some people I want to smash into but um you know, but but then I was just, uh, I was playing in Texas and I got put on the all Texas team pretty quickly. Then I got moved on to the Western U.S. team pretty quickly and I'm in medical school and it was like, I'm in medical school, but I'm playing rugby on the weekends. And I'm, I'm really, you know, medical school is kind of like what I'm doing, but I'm really, really looking forward to the rugby. Mm. And then I got asked to go down to New Zealand and play in a, in a kind of professional capacity. I got recruited to go down there and it was like, to stay in medical school or go to New Zealand? Because at that time, well, still New Zealand's like the top place in the world to play rugby for almost anybody. Uh, you know, from a skill position, and it's kind of, you know, everybody kind of likes to think about going down there, so I got asked to go, be on a team, they flew me out there, I ended up dropping out of medical school to go play rugby, which some people think is crazy, I mean, a lot of stuff I've done in my life, people think is crazy, but what I'm doing now, people think is crazy, so I'm not a stranger to to kind of taking risks and doing crazy things, and that's kind of what, you know, what kind of drove me to, to do that, stuff. so I had a real good time, spent some time down there, played some high-level rugby, played with some of the you know, top guys in the world were in the league. You know, some the New Zealand All Blacks were on, on some of the opposing teams I played against, so I got to play on the be on the field with those guys. And so, even as somebody, you know, again, I wasn't that skillful of a player, but I was just athletic, and you know, you can you can get a long ways with 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 athleticism. And yeah, uh, uh, you know, that that carried me through a lot of different sports, actually.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting too. And I know, like, my view has always been with when it comes to things like when you have an opportunity like to play professional rugby, is like you know, that window of time where you can kind of be in that world is pretty pretty small compared to the amount of time you can you can invest in going to middle school school. You can always go back to that. But if you decide to say, I'm going to focus on middle school school and throw this rugby thing into the back burner, then, you know, 10 years down the road, you might look back. Well, what if I would have done that? Yeah, that's exactly. That was, so. <laughs> that was the decision I
0: went because I was like, man, I'm 23 years old or whatever I was. And I was like, I'm not gonna be able to do this when I'm 35. And so I took the opportunity at 23. And then I then I, you know, then I came back, and I ended up going back to medical school about seven, eight years later, because I took all that time off to continue playing rugby. I went in the military with a lot of nuclear bombs. I was playing rugby for the military, and I remember my Latin, what made me retire from rugby? I was playing for a team called the Denver Barbarians. I was in Las Vegas, and we were playing a team, a Russian team, a team from Russia. And I was playing, I was having a really good game. I scored a couple tries. Uh, and I was at, I was laying on the bottom of a pile, I called a ruck, where you know people are you know stepping on you and stuff like that. And there was a guy, the scrum half, a Russian scrum half. I remember this son of a bitch <laughs> sitting there. I was stuck, I couldn't get out. My head was sticking out all these guys' pile, on. he was just kicking me in the oh. head, kick, 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 kick. I had blood coming out of my ears, and I was just like you know kind of dazed. And I said, "All right, I'm done." So that was my rugby career. It was interesting though.
1: Yeah, I bet you bet plenty of experiences to draw from from there. So. I would probably get fire from our listeners if I didn't follow up with a question about the nuclear bomb stuff. I'm not sure how much of that you can share, but Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I had top
0: secret (laughs) extra sensitive information, uh, clearance, you know, I was, you know, the military, I mean, maybe they would regret this now, but thought I was sane enough to to handle (laughs) nuclear bombs. You know, they were, they were like, you know, you know, they do this all this person, they do this personality testing, and they, they do a real deep background check, and they, they came through and said, well, you're, somehow you're you're safe enough for us to give you a top secret clearance. And so I did that for about five years. Um, you know, I never actually launched a real nuclear bomb. You know, we would have known it. We probably would have heard about that sure. if that happened. But we would do tests and we would we would we would constantly be on the alert for in case something happened. But that was actually a really good I really enjoyed that job because it was pretty damn easy. Actually, <laughs> I mean it was stressful. Yeah. But yeah. you only had to work like once or twice a week. It was like two days a week. You know, you go down there. 24 hours, you and another dude, you go down to a little launch control center, hang out, babysit the nuclear bombs, they run tests on you, and then that was your day, uh, and then you'd be off, and so the rest of the time, I went skiing, and screwed around, and played rugby, and that's why it was nice that I could do that stuff, so that was a yeah, that was a good way to do it, and I was 23 years old, you know, they paid you pretty well, knucklehead running around, chasing women, <laughs> and you know, just, just having a good time in life, and, and, and that, was a, that was a pretty good time, you know, it was... Uh, it was uh, good people in the military, and uh, I really enjoyed that time. Awesome, yeah. So, so rugby, um, and then
1: you competed in some of the stone throwing stuff, right? Well, then I
0: started powerlifting. Oh, okay. So I, so I got out of rugby and I started lifting weights, getting, you know, getting trying to get stronger, and uh, because I had kind of did that a little bit in college, and then I kind of picked that back up, and then I you know, I uh, you know got a little bigger, I put on some size, ate just I, I remember that was. When I was eating as much as I possibly could,
1: mm-hmm.
0: trying to put on a size, I got to about 280 pounds, and then I think uh, I did powerlifting kind of off and on for about 20 years almost. Uh, let me think, yeah, about 20 years. I, I remember I I deadlifted 700 pounds for the first time, and I ended up setting. It's kind of weird. I don't know. I running. Isn't quite like this way, I don't think, but but in powerlifting they have all these different federations now. So there's you know, there's XYZ and the ABC and the DEF Federation, they all have records and they all have different strategies. And I always lifted in the drug tested ones because I was always a drug-free athlete. But mm-hmm. so I had set several national records in different organizations as a deadlifter. And so my best deadlift was three hundred and fifty kilos or seven hundred and seventy-two pounds, wow. which was pretty decent for you know a drug-free guy. Uh, But I was about 280 pounds when I did that. And so, uh, like I said, I did that off and on until my uh, kind of early 40s. In the middle of that, I played around with some of the strongman stuff, kind of like the world's strongest man stuff. And Mm -hmm. this is back when strongman really wasn't very well organized. And it just started some of that stuff. And there was an organization called uh, uh, the North American Strongman Society. And I actually got a card. It says, you're a card-carrying strongman. I just (laughs) carried my wallet because I competed and I ended up taking like uh fifth place at the national first national championships you know i was uh uh you know you know i was lifting stones and pulling pulling fire trucks and uh you know put throwing stuff over your head i can't remember all the events we had but all kinds of neat stuff and uh i had fun doing that i won the uh they had a, this kind of weird grip contest called a rolling thunder where this big thing and you had to pick it up with one hand and i there was a, the national championships, first ever one I won that, too. I had like, it was like 215 pounds. I picked up one hand on this big, fat handle. Now guys do a lot more than that, but that was when it first started. But I didn't like strong. I didn't think I could continue with strong because, you know, quite honestly, there's, there's just a lot of drug usage in that sport. and It sure. wasn't something I was willing to do. So I kind of, you know, I did that for a couple of years. I really enjoyed the training. I thought it was great. I still can incorporate a lot of that stuff in what I do today. But I thought the, the competition was fun, but I knew – you know, deep down in my heart, it wasn't something I was going to be the top at. If I didn't, if I didn't want to take drugs, and I, sure. never, I never wanted to do that, so I never did that. So, um, then I got into throwing. Okay. So then I was in my early 40s, and I was I was in, in my in my office, you know, taking care of patients uh, as a surgeon. And this was when I was in the military, because I came back in the military because the military paid for my medical education to go back in. So I was still in the military, in my uh, physician assistant comes in walking in with a, with a, you know, what I thought was a skirt. And he explained it was a kilt and <laughs> he was telling me about all Robert Barnes day. He was an Irish poet and about the Highland games and thought, he said, we got to try it. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty adventurous. So I said, I'll go out there and try it. And it was, it was, it was a blast. It was just throwing stuff, throwing heavy stuff, a bunch of big, you know, big people, you know, and I was a big guy then, but there's people that are just giants. I mean, you know, there's people that are, six foot nine three hundred forty three hundred fifty pounds yeah big monster guys and i was fit right in with those guys i actually had some pretty decent skill with that um I was still strong enough to where i could do that and i I did that for about four or five years i won a world championship as a master you know they had age groups i won the masters world championship Um, and again it was the same thing i wasn't as skillful as the guys that had track and field throwing backgrounds but i was strong enough and fast enough where i could win enough events just based on that. And then some of the higher skill events, I could still use my strength to do decent at, but I was never like the most skillful athlete on the field, but the combination of, uh, just, you know, you know, this kind of insane drive to win and focus and and do, you know, push yourself as hard as you can just, just to be the, to be the best you can and and to win got me through it and carried me through. And then, and, and then, um, So I did that for about five years, six years of throwing, really enjoyed it. Maybe go back there and do that again someday. And then I kind of got, you know, at that point, this is when I had this, you know, dietary health crisis where I started, my health started going downhill because I was too damn big, probably was diabetic or pre-diabetic at least, and probably had a lot of other health issues. know, wasn't sleeping well, Um, you know, blood pressure was up, all these things that are problematic. And then I said, well, I'm going to, because I was 280 pounds. And I wasn't obese by any stretch of the imagination, but I was just a big, big guy. I wasn't lean. And then I decided to change my health, I mean, change, change my nutrition to fix my health, and then took up this sport of indoor rowing, you know, a couple years into that. And so that's what I've done most recently, and I've been able to set a number of records on this crazy concept 2 machine, which some of the, you know, the rowers that certainly maybe listen to this, and the CrossFit athletes are aware of this you know know how hard that can be and it's a very demanding uh thing to do physiologically and so i've been able to succeed, excel at that And now funny enough i'm kind of transitioning back to powerlifting and so i might play around with trying to get my my strike back up again
1: yeah yeah that's that's certainly a fascinating uh um experience through sport and nutrition and stuff like that and um you know i think uh the first time I really found out who you are was, I, I believe, on Twitter. I started following you, and you had posted a video about you, you slam dunking a basketball. And, you know, the first thought I had was, okay, this guy, I think at the time you had just been playing around with pure carnivore, or you were almost carnivore, or more or less carnivore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, I can just dunk a basketball. And then you know, uh, some people like, okay, cool. He's, he's a freak of nature. You know, he can dunk a basketball when he's over 50 years old. And I was thinking to myself, like, you know, Michael Jordan was a freak of nature too. And he could dunk a basketball from the free throw line when he was, you know in his prime but now he's about your age i bet he can't even dunk a basketball so oh can, i think he can still dunk a basketball he but, okay. he's, but he's he's, he's, like he's still a lot wider
0: <laughs> than me you know that's yeah. the thing i'm, you know, I'm 240 150 pounds when i did that but uh yeah I, I i i dunked the basketball on my 50th birthday in fact it was it was just something to uh just to kind of celebrate my birthday and the same sure. day i deadlifted 500 pounds for a bunch of reps <laughs> just to kind of say that you know i you know i'm not a one-trick pony and I had just broken a world record on the rowing machine shortly before that. And so it's just like here I'm at 50, I'm still dunking basketballs. You know, I'm I'm staying healthy to fight. At that time, I was ketogenic diet, but I just transitioned over to a carnivore diet. And then I did the same thing this year when I turned 51. After a year of being on a carnivore diet, dunked the basketball again, just to show that you know you can kind of maintain that stuff even 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 if you get older. But uh, Yes, yeah, so a lot of people thought that was pretty cool to, to to be able to do that, you know, at this stage. But there are there, I mean, there's a few guys that can still dunk over 50. Most of them tend to be these ex-pro NBA guys sure. uh, that, that are able to do that. And uh, there's very few guys over 50 that can actually dunk still. Uh, but not many of them. Not only any of them can can break the world record on the concept 2 rower and deadlift 500 pounds <laughs> at the same time. So I think it's a little unique, which I think is. Makes me a little bit on the on the fringe of things.
1: Yeah, I would say um, a human performance outlier, perhaps. There you right? go. I, we're here <laughs> that
0: name before. That's right. Somebody ought to name a podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's fascinating to hear those stories and, and you know, follow guys guys and gals like you who are you know doing things at a super high level. You know, despite being at an age group where most people are thinking, well, you know, I'm outside my prime. I I better start looking at just you know, enjoying life and looking back at the times I had. Instead, you're 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 looking. Well, how can I improve? How can I still get better? And I think that's that's super motivating. Um, you know, especially for someone like me, and I'm, I'm 32, and that gives me a lot of encouragement. That hey, I maybe I've got a few decades left of of um, feeling really fit and healthy and stuff like that. So uh, it's definitely uh, motivating and uh, something that uh, I like to seek out when I'm looking for. For, you know people or groups that are kind of bucking the norm so to speak
0: yeah I think our definition of aging is changing for some mm-hmm. you know for some people it's aging premature because we have this disaster of a dietary uh, policy I think you know and I think that's been something that is, is prematurely aging but mm-hmm. there are there are a few people that are figuring out how to you know really beat the clock you know beat the aging a little bit and, you know I think fortunately hopefully I'll continue to be one of those people because I, I think I've got a couple more decades of competing sure. at a high level. I'm hoping I'm trying to dunk a damn basketball at 70. <laughs> I think that'll be pretty cool. I think Dr. J dunked a basketball in his mid 60s, if Did I'm not he? mistaken. Wow! So, I mean, that, <laughs> so it's still possible. It's still possible. It's out there, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing what I can do to, to maintain that as long as possible. Because uh, you know, I, I think again, enjoyment of life is being able to do those things, and mm-hmm. and for me being still active and physically fit, and, you know, not only playing with my kids, but being able to beat my kids at sports is, is important to me. You know, it's uh, and it does say a lot to, to health and aging in a healthy way.
1: Yeah. So all meat. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, I, I got into the high fat ketogenic type of stuff uh, years ago and it was uh, you know, a carnivore diet wasn't something I was completely unfamiliar with. I'd heard about people doing it. Um, but I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it other than uh, getting a little interest peaked here and there until I started kind of following you. And uh, I know like you've kind of been, I guess, more or less the the poster boy for that that approach this last few months. Um, you know, saw you on the Joe Rogan podcast where you kind of told your story and stuff. um and then, uh, you know, you've got countless examples of people reaching out to you and sharing their stories and stuff like that. What was, um, kind of the, I guess, the, mo- not, not, I don't want to say motivating factor, but the, the kind of aha moment where you're like, all right, meat is all I need, all I want, this is what's going to make me function at my highest level, um, and how did that kind of play out?
0: How did yeah, that I mean, I don't think it happens until you do it. I mean, the aha moment for me was several months into doing it. You know, I, I read about it, I saw other people do it, I was still skeptical. I saw, you know, hopefully we get these guys on the podcast, Joe and Charlene Anderson, and Charles Washington, some of these other guys have been doing it for a long time. Um, and I was just like, you know, they're doing it, and, you know, it's neat, it's interesting, you know, maybe there's something there. But then I said, you know, I, I convinced myself just to try it because I'd read enough about health improvements that I kind of thought it might help with performance uh, based on just some of the stuff I was kind of just kind of theorizing about. And so I did it, and then I felt really, really good. I mean, I really felt good. And, uh, you know... I, I did it for a month and then i then i said okay it was it was a fun month experiment and then i went back to the, the kind of more ketogenic style of eating with the more ketogenic foods. i just didn't feel as good and i thought well i prefer to feel good you know and and so and then as i continued to do that i really started to see things like my strength dramatically went up about two months into this and then these chronic uh things like quadriceps pain that i'd had quadriceps sin, and i said i had my whole you know, decades now. I remember it it bothered me for as long as I can remember. It just went away for the first time in my life. That was kind of an aha moment for me because I was like, this, you know, because I was an orthopedic surgeon practicing and I was like, this stuff doesn't normally just go away on its own. It's usually just slowly gets worse and worse Mm -hmm. and worse. Um, And it just completely went away never came back, never had trouble with it again. And, you know, it just kind of that was that was the aha moment for me. And then it's just continue to be more aha moments every every day or every week for me as I continue to get better. And and then also all the people that I see. And I think a lot of people are having their aha moments now, which is, I think, really, really exciting. Yeah. And I
1: really think the thing that fascinates me most about the carnivore approach um, or any nutrition approach for that matter, really, is. Like, we're starting to see folks like you, um, you know, and, and a host of others that are kind of starting to point to food as medicine again, where I think as a country, we, we very much separated from that for a while, and, and certainly still do, where it's it's less about, well, how can I fix this from a natural way by what I'm eating and what I'm doing to myself personally, and instead we're reaching for, like, a pill or reaching for something that uh, can kind of put a band-aid on the situation or maybe remedy it in the short term but cause all these other nasty side effects. And um, you know, I guess it kind of fits into that quick fix mentality a little bit, whereas um, although you can make an argument that the carnivore diet is much more than a quick fix, it, or it is a quick fix as well as a, um, a long-term solution, some people are seeing results in a fascinating amount of time, uh, short amount of time, I should say but um yeah so what are your your thoughts on that like uh have what what has it been like to see kind of like the momentum of people reaching out to you sharing their stories and um kind of I guess uh solidifying in your mind like okay this isn't just I'm a freak it works for me but there's actually like people out there that can benefit from this
0: yeah I mean you know I think the point where you say food is medicine I think one of the other things is food can be poison too Mm -hmm. and a lot of people were just eating the wrong food and I think there's just as much of that as, as there is getting healthy nutrition because there's so much stuff that we probably should not have ever even eaten as humans. But so we're getting rid of some of that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I see, you know, I did like I said, this time last year, people thought it was like just totally crazy. And now there are thousands, if not ten, th- tens of thousands of people, hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of people with their eyes on this now. And at least it's in, the, in their mind and their perception. And a sizable percentage of those people are thinking that, um, this could be an option for me, and, and there's a lot of people that are doing that and, and getting the same results I was getting, which is very good results. And so, that's very encouraging me. I mean, I still get the detractors, I still get the people that think I'm stupid, mm-hmm. crazy. They make fun of me, they, they, you know, they, they, they attack you personally for very, for very different reasons, and, and that's always going to happen. You know, that's kind of you know water off a duck's back. I don't really care about sure. that. So, I'm interested in how many people who get better, how many people's lives are improved. You know, and it doesn't mean this is a one size fits all diet for everybody. I do think everyone can, can generally benefit from it or, or tolerate it at least to some degree and it may improve things. It's certainly a good way to figure things out. Like you say, when you're trying to figure out how nutrition impacts your health, it can be very difficult to sort that out. And this can be a quick uh, reset button. I kinda of use it as like the reset button. You can kind of reset things, start here, and then you can figure out what you're supposed to be eating because you don't really know. I mean, we're just giving food as we're children. Whatever your parents give you, whatever the, the food manufacturers want to feed us, that's what we eat, and no one really has a chance to you know, truly see what they're supposed to eat, and I think this is, like I said, this is hitting the reset button for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, you know, it seems like to me it's a more, like, direct kind of, probably even easier to follow at the end of the day because you're really just, you know, when you when you say, like, I'm just going to eat meat, you don't really think too much about, well, oh, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to have for dinner? And you just, you know, you have those steaks loaded up and you're ready to go. and um, But, like, for me, it seems like it's a really, like, direct kind of, like, elimination diet at least, at the very least. So, like, people can start out that way and, like you said, by it's not necessarily what you don't, what we're not getting. It's what we're getting too much of or fake stuff that we're sabotaging ourselves with. So when you scale back to something that's as bioavailable as meat, um, you know, you're eliminating any potential trigger really. And then you can kind of let your body kind of get back to homeostasis. And and if you decide like carnivore is not necessarily for you, then once you get to that, you know, reset point. You can start reintroducing some of those and find out for sure. Like, okay, this thing is obviously not working for me, or this actually does work for me. Um, and then you can always go back too. So I think it's, you know, it's it's certainly worth giving it a try. No, I think so. I think it is. You know, if you, you know, if
0: you're in, here's what I say: do what works for you. Be objective about it, though. If your health is perfect, your athletic performance is perfect, you're happy with your body composition, you're doing the right things. You know, right. if there's something that's not working, this can be an option. For you to try and you know try it for as long as you like it and then you know change things up if you need to or if you feel you need to or or, or potentially get better by doing it I don't know
1: yeah and you know that's always been my counterpoint to uh, you know folks will, will sometimes come to me and say like well okay we get that this is what you do and we get that you believe it improved your performance or improved your health but when we look at you know, the majority of Olympians, like medalists and world record holders, they're all following a high carbohydrate diet, in some cases an extremely high carbohydrate diet. And you know, my, my response to that is usually like, well, we're, we're looking kind of linearly at that where we're taking the tip of the spear, these are the people who are probably the most robust, um, hardest to kind of break down people on the planet, and that's partly why they got to where they did. Um, But think of the people along the way that kind of had that physical human potential, but didn't make it because, you know, they burnt out or their nutrition wasn't where it needed to be for them individually. Um, And that's when we start finding some fascinating stories, you know, when we look towards those, those side, you know, the sideways type stuff as opposed to just grabbing the person who did the absolute best. And saying, okay, well, this person must have the all the answers for everyone because they got to that gold medal or they got to that world record. Um, you know, I think there's there's just more investigating to be done than to be looking at that segment of the population
0: in isolation. Well, it's like you know that the criticism was with the Bulgarian weightlifting team. You know, the Bulgarians dominated the Olympics. You know, there was they used, there was drug usage and stuff there, but their method was some people likened it to throwing eggs against the wall and which one doesn't break. Mm -hmm. So they would put them through this very stressful (laughs) training program, and the only ones that didn't break were the hardiest survivors that could Mm -hmm. do that, and that was a system that weeded out everybody else. And so it could be that some people will thrive in that environment with that particular nutritional strategy, Mm -hmm. uh, and the other people that that it it breaks them, you know, or they get burned out, they get injured, or they get over, you know, they, they, they get metabolically burned out, they can't make it under that nutritional strategy, so they never rise to the top. So what we haven't seen is people, uh, a significant population, trying these other nutritional strategies mm-hmm. and see who who thrives on those particular things. Because, like I said, as a 100-mile racer, I mean, you're one of the best in the world, and you're thriving on that strategy, on a different strategy than, than the typical high-carb strategy. So I think, you know, again, it's, it's going to be more – more people testing it. And I think more people are testing it, more people are testing out the carnivore diet and, and noticing good things athletically. So we'll just have to see. And and maybe, uh, well, like it always is the outliers have to have to pave the way. And then the researchers kind of slowly figure out why it works and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, find the science later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's how we, we find the reason to do the science. I think sometimes is, you know, people branching away from the norm a little bit and challenging the, Challenging what's generally accepted, and then when you start seeing some examples of, of people having good success on it, then it's like, hey, let's take a look at this. Let's take a bigger look at this, and you know, then then the science comes. And you know, that's always my other a critique of you know the folks who just say, well, according to this study, according to that study, and it's like, you know, that's the studies we have now. That's what we know now. And you know, there is a timeline to some degree in terms of your peak performance. So you know, for me, it's like if I can like my my body and my performance isn't going to operate in a laboratory i'm in, i'm operating in the field so like finding what's going to work for me personally in the field if if i'm doing that ahead of what the science is coming out then you know that's something that that i want to do because i don't want to you know sit and wait for 10 years and then find out oh had i started doing what i intuitively thought was going to work for me back then i could have you know had a better performance or lasted longer in the sport so you know I think to some degree like you have to look at yourself and say like I'm the best gauge of how I feel and how I perform I'm the one who can really be honest with myself like you know someone else can't necessarily come in and say like oh well you know your performance is suffering or you're trying harder or you know all that other stuff that's really kind of an inward thing so I think if you're willing to be honest with yourself and you know, try different things you'll, you'll find what what works for you and um your your health will be your guide, I guess
0: yeah, I think there's some, there's a lot of truth to that for sure you know I, like I said it's it's evolving it's it's continually evolving if it doesn't then uh, then I think we're in trouble you know we otherwise you know if it doesn't evolve then no more world records get beaten you know and so that's what we're, we're we always see that sure yeah. yeah, so anything else that you want to share to uh, you know I talked a little bit about you know, like motivation, you know what drives you to do this stuff you know, like I said, I thought I was a crazy superhero, but you know, for me now, you know, I you know we talked a little bit about it in your, on when we when I interviewed you, but you know, for me, motivation, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times, just in because I train you know alone quite a bit, you know, and I just have to kind of mentally beat myself up, and sometimes because I don't have people around me to push me, I have to create, you know, a target or create a, you know, it's like it's kind of interesting when. The country comes together in a time of war because we have a common enemy. You know, that's that's when people are motivated. They, 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 they sort of, uh, you know, lift each other up and, and they're on the same team. But because I don't, I'm, you know, I'm training off of myself, I've got to manufacture some kind of enemy to beat, you know, and it can't always be me because if you're always trying to beat yourself, that becomes depressing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but so, I, so I'll take, you know, whoever my rival is and whatever sport it is at the time, whether they're a nice guy or not, I don't know, I don't, you know, they're most likely they're very nice people, but I will fabricate some thought in my mind that they're cheating somehow, that they're, you know, they're 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 not nice people, uh, and, and sort of develop, uh, you know, a little bit of anger towards that person, and focus that into, you know, you know, I can beat this person, you know, I, I can be the best person in the world, uh, and there's only one guy ahead of me, that, and I, that's been my I mean, sometimes I just could never beat that guy. You know, I was like, there was one guy in Highland Games that I could never, ever beat. And he used to piss me off because I was two in the world. And he always beat me. And I was always like, this guy's got to be cheating. And he was a real nice guy. But I was just like, I could never beat him. But then there's other guys that I I was able to do that. And I was just like, you know, this guy's ahead of me. I'm going to beat this guy. And I do it. And just because I I use that, you know, whatever their benchmark is. You know, when you're chasing your record, you know what the number to beat is. And you know who did it. (laughs) And you know that you're like that person has two legs and two arms just like I do, and my yeah. my heart my heart and desire is bigger than his, so I'm gonna win. And uh, that has been what kind of motivates me. Uh, that's how I, I motivate myself a lot. You know, it's fun when you got people around you. You know, when mm-hmm. I when I was training up at Super Training with Mark, there was a bunch of a bunch of guys training, lifting hard. It's easy. It's really easy to perform because mm-hmm. you're everybody. You know, you're you're just kind of you, you feed off the energy. What's it's hard uh, to do it by yourself, you know, probably with you because you're running by yourself. Imagine a lot of the times I mean, there's no one around to push you or anything like that. So you have to really you really got to be internally motivated to do this. And I think the people that really become outliers really are internally motivated because, you know, if those people are not around you and they're not always going to be there. You're not going to push yourself unless you know how to do it, you know, do it on your own. And, and that's what, um, you know, I do most of the time. You know, I can I can beat myself up. Without anybody else at there yelling at me, calling me, you know, calling me names, and motivating me, or whatever, you know, whatever we do, the tricks we do to to try to uh, mentally fool ourselves that we can do more than we think we can. Yeah, no, it's
1: fascinating, and I I, I know what you mean. I, I think with with ultra running, a lot of times it's very much a kind of a individual endeavor where like really, who are you letting down other than yourself? If you have a bad race, you know, my my. I guess best experience with that is uh, they have like the world the world championships at various things like 100 kilometers, 24 hours, stuff like that so I've been on the world 100k team a few times and you know then you kind of have that feel where like you were mentioning where it's it's almost a little easier to kind of get yourself worked up for it because you know you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting down potential teammates and you know that the, the country quote unquote I guess <laughs> with something like that and you're representing the country as opposed to just you know a sponsor or yourself and um it's it's a different it's a kind of a different like angle and i think it's cool to kind of see that variance
0: no it is and you know like i, said, I still get nervous you know you're at 50 51 years old when i'm trying to do set up you know and it's you know it's a thing i think you obsess about you know these these athletic goals i mean you analyze it you go th- you know i think the, the the top guys will do that they'll rehearse they'll, they'll rehearse in their mind what they're going to do, you know, at that exact moment. You know, for you, 100 miles might be hard to rehearse every step of that. But for, for me, it's a lot of times it's short for or single weight lift. It's like you think about in your mind exactly what you're going to do for a rowing. Sprint is over in a minute or so. I, I kind of have a plan where I want to be every single mm-hmm. few seconds of the way, what my pace needs to be, where I need to be. Yeah. And I, I think about that and, and you know, Right before I do it, even though no one's there, no one cares, no one could care less. The only one that cares about it is me. I'm still nervous about it, and I think that's—I think that's just—you know—a lot of these top. You talk about a lot of these top guys in the world. You think they—they they walk out there and they're relaxed, they're cool and calm, but you hear it. You talk to them, and they say, "I was in the bathroom throwing up three minutes before <laughs> this before this event." Yeah. You know, because it, it is just incredibly—you uh, know—you you you put this 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 incredible amount of stress. Uh, on yourself to perform at that high level when you get to those very, you know, not even extremes, but personal extremes because mm-hmm. you know you're gonna yeah. you know you're gonna reach down and do something that's gonna test who you are. It's gonna test a lot of times your pain threshold. and you know it 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 can be very stressful.
1: yeah, for sure. I know like in, in the in the sport of running, it's always, that's the individual side of things like whether you're at the back of the race or the front of the race if you you know there's some go-to phrases like going to the well or entering the pain cave that we kind of use in endurance sports and it's like you don't have to be the fastest person out there to go to the pain cave or go to the well so it's very much you know you're fighting your own demons to some degree and I mean there's definitely something to be said about that like you know you don't have to be winning races or lifting the most weight to really be proud of what you did it's all about kind of you know, seeing where you're at and watching those improvements come. And I think, you know, you know, watching other people do that certainly motivates uh, everyone to kind of, I think, reach for their potential and what they can get to. And, you know, sometimes it's one step at a time, but uh, it's it's fulfilling either way.
0: No, absolutely. You know, I think, I think it's, it'd be interesting to, as we could talk to more folks that are kind of outliers here to kind of see what makes them up mentally. Because I think there's mm-hmm. a, I think, you know, there's a certain amount of intelligence you have to have to 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 get that performance. you know you have to be mm-hmm. able to figure this stuff out. and I think uh, that's one big one aspect of it, but I think there's you know there's there's just this this capacity to, to reach down and, and go to the well go, they, they use the same terms of wrong sure. and, <laughs> and hang out in there. and I'll tell you man, some days some days I just don't have it you know it, 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 it pains me to think that there are days that you let yourself down, but you get in there. And I mean, I've gotten to where, I mean, I'm in the middle of a hard row and I know I'm on good pace and I know it's going to hurt for just 20 seconds, just 20 hard seconds. And some days I can turn it on and some days I can't. And I'll just like, I give up. And it's just kind of hard to determine when that's going to happen when it's not. You know, it's like, uh, you know, for me, because it's always because I do so much, you know, the way I train is a lot of just go for it as hard as you can, try to break the world record and do it day in and day out. Sometimes and that's the nice thing about the diet is just giving me the physical capacity to do that. But sometimes that mental, you know, are you going to allow yourself to, 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 to feel that much pain, even if it's for a short period of time? Uh, that sometimes is, it's, a, it's a split second decision. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll notice that it, you know, if I just hang on for two extra seconds, I can do it. But if I don't make it through those just two seconds, then then I'm done. And it's just kind of weird how that works.
1: Yeah, you know, that was a a question I was going to ask you, too. And, you know, I think it's one of the fascinating things about, like, the way we structured this podcast where we kind of have two ends of the extreme in terms of intensity versus, like, you know, extreme endurance. Um, I know for me personally and people I talk to who run 100-mile races, it's – It's kind of a general thing where like 100 miles is long enough where something will go wrong. Like there's really no way around it. You know, there's just too much time for everything to go out perfectly. So it's less about like um, trying to eliminate potential like things that are gonna make it less than perfect, but it's more about how you respond when those things come up. But in an event that's like a minute in length, I can I can imagine like you kind of have to be, like, like it, it almost has to be mistake-free.
0: Yeah, it do, I mean, to set a record, it does. I mean, it really does. And, you, I mean, you know, like I said, you, you always can go faster and eventually. But, I, for me, it's just like, you know, I know I have to hit every single – because mm-hmm. I don't get any opportunities. One small mistake is going to be the difference between, you know, hitting it and not – there's no recovery from that. And so, you have to – you know, that's why I know, like, mentally, I, I know where I'm at. And If I'm not, like, if I'm, if I'm not going to – hit whatever target I have by 30 seconds into it, it's not going to happen. And so it's kind of, that's a, that's a challenging part. So you have to, you know, like a 500-meter five, rail, it takes a minute 15-ish or so, something like that, for, uh, you know, the top guys in the world, which, which you know, I've, I've been one of those. And so um, I know within 30 seconds, if, if I have not done what I need to do within the first 30 seconds, mm-hmm. it, it just, it's, it's impossible to recover from that. And it could be as much as... You know, I have to sit and say, I'm gonna take I'll calculate exactly because I I know like because there's only a limited amount of time. I know exactly how many times I'm gonna how many strokes I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. in that amount of time. I know how how much power I need to put in every single stroke. And so I'm sitting there counting and watching, and it's it's something that it's evolving in front of me. And you know, like I said, I have to be the second I start, it has to be as hard as intensity as I can, and I have to maintain it as long as I possibly can. Uh, knowing that there's gonna be a little bit of you know a little bit at the end where you just can't you, you no longer can do what you, you, you do what you, no longer can pull his heart but it's it's something that uh, you know it's 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 literally I can't make any mistakes you know and if I do I mean it's just like I could have taken off a tenth of a second here just by doing sure. that and you second guess yourself a lot no doubt well that's
1: fascinating stuff um I think uh, you know. I think we've given our audience a good look into like who you are, and um, I have no doubt we'll get some questions about doing a deep dive into some of those things that we, that we touched on. So definitely don't hesitate to shoot us a note if you uh, um, would like to learn more, hear more about any of the topics we talked about on the Meet Sean Baker episode
0: three. Um, you want to take us out? Well, I, I think we had a really good guest today. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, like I said, it's good to we, you know, we kind of, kind of put you guys in and don't know us know what we're about. You know, we're, we're both kind of performance outliers, and uh, you know, as we start to talk about individual, you know, specific topics, whether scientific topics or specifics to performance, or having different guests on to talk about their experiences, outliers, in whatever field it is, whether it's nutrition athletics or life you know we want to get these outliers out here and and see what makes them tick what their thoughts are um, you know how they do things and see what kind of secrets we can learn
1: awesome well thanks for tuning in to episode 3 if you haven't uh, check out our introduction podcast we kind of lay out what we're kind of aiming for with uh, with this series Um, episode 2 is a similar format to this one but with kind of introducing myself Uh, But, yeah, definitely hit us up on social media or wherever you can find us and uh, send us some questions if you got them.
0: All right, HBO podcast number three. Made it through. All
1: right. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at HPO podcast at gmail.com That's hpo podcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me at ZBitter. That's at Z B I T T E R. And you can find Sean at S Baker M D. That's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram where you can find me at Zach Bitter. That's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at Sean Baker 1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast.